Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Barbato, along with the best producer in the business, Miss Marissa, Mar- Marissa Cali. How are you doing today, Marissa? I'm doing well. Um, this is kind of fun because we were dancing before we started. Right. Now we're getting like hyped. Okay, stiff. We're getting yeah. hyped. Yeah, we need the background music yeah. to our lives. That's right, Marissa. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you for uh, joining me today. I'm really excited about today's conversation because, you know, normally we talk to people we might know a little bit more. Um, You know this person a little bit more. But now I get to hear and learn from someone who is definitely making a change in the soccer landscape. So I'm excited to hear from. So who do we have today? Yeah, Marissa, really excited to welcome on the, sh- the guest of our, our show today, uh, Mr. Joe Pahanich, who also heads up JPS Training and a product that I think is absolutely fantastic and fascinating. And I, I'm so excited to share it with our audience today. And it's going to be a big, big, big deal. And so I think that for a lot of people, this is going to be the first introduction to seeing it, but it won't be the last time that they see it. Because I think that if they're either a soccer player or the parents of players or grandparents or aunts or uncles, you're going to see it on every training field in the country, possibly internationally in no time. So let's welcome Joe onto the show. Welcome, Joe. Joe, how are you? How you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Doing great, man. We're really excited about the conversation that we get to have today, and um, thanks so much for making time for us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Awesome. Well, I'll let you guys get to it, and uh, I'll be back later on. Thanks, Marissa. We'll see you shortly. Joe, um, just can you give just a frame of reference for our audience, um, just a little bit of your personal background in regards to being, you know, a player, a coach, an innovator, trainer, all these things. Can you just kind of let everybody kind of know your history for us today with the game? Yeah, of absolutely. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't have the dance moves that you have, Jason. I didn't know you had such rhythm, but dude. I didn't. I grew up I in the hood, man. You have to. I guess so. I didn't know what show we were on. Sure. So you think you can dance, or is this a yeah. podcast? That's right. Let's do it. Uh, well, no. Again, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So basically, um, grew up in Southern California. Grew up playing in the club circuit. Uh, was born in '82, so you can kind of do the math. Um, I was a kid who was driving, like many kids these days. So I was driving an hour and a half to get to our practices. Uh, grew up in Palm Double with Santa Anita and Rancho Cucamonga and some of those areas to, to play with uh, what I think was one of the more talented teams around in that, in that age. was a team called Cal Heat with Leonard Griffin, Lyndon Pecorelli, Landon Donovan. It was a very talented group, so, so we were making the drive and investing there. That led into uh, a little bit of collegiate play at CSUN. Not much. I actually started coaching immediately, so I was 18 and I already had a, a team going and Okay. So got into the coaching world and uh, had been doing it ever since and coached collegiately a little bit at Santa Monica College, started directing clubs, um, helped create LAFA, which now is U- LAUSA, back then it was LAFA, but helped with that uh, project. I was a director at FCLA and then eventually got brought into LAFC when they launched and mm-hmm. spent about three years there, helped them build in their academy. Um, 
coached uh, the 07 group and, and groups below. And, and uh, gosh, you know, did all my badges, you know, a license and, and the instructor's license for the grassroots coaches and um, actually met my wife in the D course and got married a year later. And so, uh, you know, soccer's in the household for us, you know, so we, we uh, we both have been in the soccer industry for a very long time. She played for Cal State Fullerton and Slammers, and played professionally in Germany for a little while. Came back, was coaching for for uh, Fullerton, and now is the head coach at University of Laverne women's okay. program there. So it's in the house, and um, you know, and and now we're kind of moving a little bit out of the coaching space. I still do coach. I run a program called JPS. I left LAFC uh, voluntarily when I well, maybe three years ago. We have a six-year-old daughter. We just turned six. And then we have twins that are three and a half. Um, and so when we had twins, I said, all right, this is, you know, it's yeah. a lot. It's demanding in the MLS and the seven-day, you know, seven-day work week and 10-hour days at times. So went a different route, started my own training program. We got a little more flexibility, and it's been amazing. The last three years have been a lot of fun and impacting some of the players in that space. So a lot of group sessions um, all over Southern California. And so – Doing a lot of that, and, and now, yes, with Heads Up Vest and um, promoting this product and and really uh, enjoying this time with, with this. It's different for me, you know, but I, I've yeah. really enjoyed it and kind of connecting some dots with this with the, with the Heads Up Vest. So. Yeah, and I really – I want to be able to kind of talk about both of those entities that you're involved in because I think that – you know, in the course of our conversation, our audience will also see that kind of your experience of being a coach and also caring about training outside of the, you know, the normal X's and O's program, like a like a regimented Monday, Wednesday training session for, for youth players kind of lended itself to an environment where you could develop this product. And so I kind of want to want to get there. And so so we'll get there eventually with with heads up vest. But as a coach starting so young, you know, you're still a pretty young guy as far as I'm concerned. Even in the coaching world, I'm, I'm sure that you're probably still considered incredibly young. Um, but as a coach, uh, with all the experience and all the places that you've been, the different clubs that you've directed and led and, and things like that, what were some of the gaps that you started to see in development um, that kind of started creating an environment where you were looking for some answers and looking to change things? It's a great question, Jay. And I, you know, I think that the country in general has, has gone a long way, you know, since we were youngsters playing in the eighties and nineties and even hosting a world cup in 94, like we've, we've gone a long way, you know, and the federation is really trying to, to make an impact. So, uh, it's exciting for the younger players that are coming up. I have, you know, like I said, I have three and a half year old kids and six year old kids and they want to play. And so it's exciting to see the federation do what they're doing and, and really pushing to, to improve. Uh, and she's talking about gaps in the system, you know, I think there are several, but I think one of the most glaring gaps that, that we're all kind of aware of, uh, pay to play is obviously a, a big piece that, uh, we could probably dive into that rabbit hole for five days and talk about that. I don't really want to get into pay to play, but yeah, no, you know, <laughs> but I, but I will say that the way we view the game and the way we teach the game to the youngsters is is probably one of the biggest disconnects that we have right now. Um, I'm speaking mostly for SoCal. Um, but, you know, again, I think there are some things and some different ways to view the game that when you get out of the country and you start to see the way 
uh, maybe the some of the European countries are viewing the game and some of the kids and, and the way they view the game in, in those countries who have a long history of the, of the sport, it's, it's a little bit different. So I think that's a big piece. And then in terms of teaching, um, you know, the way we view the game as Americans uh, trickles down to the way the coaches view the game and then the way they teach the game. So I think those two things are probably the biggest gaps that I see. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great um, thought there. I mean, what – well, we would first have to kind of identify how American, how you think Americans see the game and then how you think coaches teach the game. So are you able to kind of share that succinctly or is that a whole other separate podcast? <laughs> no, no. I think I can keep it short and brief today. I mean, sure. I think uh, uh, one of the pieces that, that we always see, and this is from ground level to top level, MLS academies and uh, in our youth programs, is – and this isn't for everybody, so I don't want to group the entire country because it's not, it's yeah. not every program. Um, but I think we still do rely heavily on physicality, athleticism. And, we, and when we think of the sport, when somebody mentions soccer, I'm curious to know what goes through their head immediately. What picture do you have going through your mind at that moment? And, and I think what happens is when we talk about players, parents, some coaches, uh, you immediately think about a race or somebody's running or – and I don't, I don't think that should be uh, the first thing that pops into our mind. Eventually, I think that, that paradigm will shift, you yeah. know, and, and we'll, we'll see uh, players, coaches, parents start to create a different picture in their head when they hear the sport's name. You know, when they hear soccer, when they hear football, they're going to start thinking chess. They're going to start thinking uh, movement off the ball. They're going to start thinking spatial awareness. They're going to start thinking about the brain, you know, and so when we can start to go away from a race and move into more of an image of the brain, I think is when we can safely say, okay, we're moving in the right direction. Right. And, and a lot of that has to come from, you know, education, like from parent education, coaching education, you know, uh, even the commentators that are hired, you know, to talk about the games and what they're discussing on the sidelines as the games are happening. I, um, that, that, that the whole, that the whole enchilada is really important, you know, that the, the whole aspect of it. And I know for me, that was, that's how I learned uh, to watch the game. I mean, I didn't grow up playing soccer. I wasn't involved, you know, outside of AYSO for a year here or there. I tried out for my team my senior year because I was very athletic. I was very fast. And I literally almost made it on the last day just because I was strong and physical. Um, and... It wasn't until someone actually watched, like watched a game with me and told me what I was seeing and how to interpret that, that it, there was no reference point or framework. And now it's all I see. All I see is it's living chess. It's two competing philosophies of the game opposed, and whoever, whatever philosophy and or talent level is going to impose its will on the other one. And how does that respond? And so it's beautiful. It's like a beautiful concert week in and week out. But but the audience, you know, for our, our audience and for players, that, that's something that has to be learned. And it's something that is very much in a culture. And like you said, I mean, I, I was blessed to go to a World Cup game in 94 at the Rose Bowl. And it was absolutely amazing. It also was incredibly hot. And a bottle of water was $20 even in 1994. That's, that's, that's a lot of money. Um, but it changed everything for me. Um, you know, switching to a little bit talking about like your your focus there as as a trainer, you know, as, uh, I've I've noticed and we've had the conversation in the past that 
you don't do a lot of private one-on-one training. You like doing team or group sessions. And can you can you speak a little bit to why for the player and for yourself as a trainer, like that probably makes the most sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I you know, going back to the gaps that we see and the way we view the game, uh, when I left LAFC, uh, there was an option. Okay. You could, you could go into the one-on-one training space if that's the way you wanted to go or, or you could start to try to make a difference with, uh, the environment that you're creating for several players and change a few things that, that I didn't see were being changed outside of the club world with some of these, uh, freelance trainers. So, with, without incriminating anyone else, can you can you share what what it is that you you see as being patterns in the space? Well, I, I think the the question that you asked in the beginning will will probably you know the answer will probably get there too. <laughs> sure. But but basically, when you work one on one, we can start there, right? If if you ask for a private lesson, it's really expensive because you're asking for somebody's time for an hour one on one, and that's you know so it, it gets really pricey. Um, I would recommend that if your if your intention in a one-on-one session is to improve with the ball and your comfort with the ball, you could do that by yourself. You know, you you could you could get an app and get some ideas and just uh, get rolling on some exercises that will just make you spend time with the soccer ball. Busta, for example, has a very good app that I help out with that uh, is a step-by-step interactive training app. Right, I could help you on that and. It's, a fraction of what you would pay for an hour uh, to see me or anybody else one-on-one. So I think, you know, and, and growing up, I never had a private trainer in my life. And I like to think that I was fairly comfortable with the soccer ball. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that that necessarily translates, but in terms of group sessions, now we can dive into, we can dive into anything really. But when you have opponents, that changes everything, right? And that's more realistic to the game. Okay. So we have opponents, we're thinking about spatial awareness, our decision-making based on pressure, um, we can always dive into comfort on the ball in those sessions if we'd like to, but we take advantage of the time where we have uh, six, eight, 10, 15 players because we can do different things when we have pressure and it's way more realistic to the game. So that's the first thing is, is the, the realistic aspect. The second thing is it gives us opportunities, just branching off of that, it gives us opportunities to make decisions and when you work one-on-one and there's no, uh, there's no problem to solve in, in that one-on-one session, you can put some lights up or um, the coach can maybe apply a little bit of pressure, but there's, there's not really a realistic attack and defense moment where you're having to deal with several group players, small groups of players defending, small groups of players attacking. So I really value that. And I, and I always felt like, that was one of the big gaps was the way we view the game. Well, we view in the game as a, a physical action. And um, so you go, Hey, I need to, somebody to help me one-on-one. We need to view the game as something that is we're talking about chess. Okay. Well, chess is if you move here, then I move there. So when we're talking about positional play, you need players, uh, several players in order to implement a session that is going to touch on that aspect of the game. Yeah. I mean, it's almost so, a difference. You know, you think of, you think of boxing, right? Like you, you train to box and, and you know, nothing uh, can help emulate what it means to have somebody actually throw a punch at you. You know, you either are punching the punching bag or you're, you're with your trainer and they're kind of, oh, duck under this one, duck under that one, you know, and it's kind of that same way. You know, as a parent, 
I've done both uh, for my kiddos. I've had private, you know, one-on-one trainings for my girls. I've had training sessions where they're together. They're two years apart. So, you know, one sister's more physical and she's a little slower, but she definitely loves to push her younger spry sister to the ground as often as possible. And so they, they really go at it, but they also screw around a ton the whole time. So I feel like I'm wasting my money 20 fold. But <laughs> for, for my, the one-on-ones that we've done in the past, you know, we were doing some hyper specific things with them as far as like they weren't striking the ball properly. And so the, the, the guy that was running the sessions for them, like had cameras set up where they could watch in super slow-mo to see where they were hitting the ball. Um, and then to this day, both my girls know how to freaking ping a ball. And that's one of the things that was really good, but we felt that was really valuable because I'll be honest. I mean, I've seen it a lot of kids who've been playing competitive two, three, four years. They're still toe poking everything at U 12 level. You know, or they're not hitting laces or they're, they're, you know, we call a not locked ankle. We call that a floppy fish in our household. Their ankle is like a floppy fish. So um, (laughs) so we talk about that all the time. Like, no, you gotta, you gotta lock that in. So, um, but I've also seen really good stuff uh, in the group trainings. There's pluses and minuses, right? But um, it just really depends where you're honing in on the focus. I've I've seen a lot of people get really uh, taken advantage of financially and just doing the one-on-ones thinking that's going to automatically make their kids some superstar. Um, but you know, and, you can't. Yeah. No, yeah. and and not to knock it, you know, and not to knock yeah. it. And I do think, you know, and, and I don't do the majority of my lessons are not one on one. But when I do take them, it's with a player who, for example, wants to really hone in on finishing, and and yeah. that piece of muscle memory. And I think muscle memory can be a negative thing in soccer. And certain actions, obviously, can help, especially finishing and things like that. But uh, so we'll dive into some of those specifics. But then also, lately, been really using the one-on-one session for motivational uh, pushes, right? So you can push a, a player motivationally in one way or the other by spending time with them on the soccer field. And I bring music out, and we connect, and, and you hopefully let them leave an hour later with some uh, deeper love for the game and, for, yeah. and, and deeper appreciation for themselves in terms of confidence. And so you can help shape players in that way when you get that one-on-one time with them so like you said different um different benefits from different types of one-on-one training i'm going more towards groups because i like to i like to coach that aspect of the game but there there are benefits you know so yeah and a huge benefit of that too is if you know if you're doing a, a session on finishing with the player and then you know a week later they grab their soccer ball on their own and go down to the field and they're practicing what they were practicing last week. That's ultimately what you want to see is that self-motivation of a player. It's their relationship with them, the ball, and putting the ball in the back of the net. I mean, that, that's really, that would be a really positive environment. Um, and both, both have their, their merits. Both have you know, uh, positive things and also things that are detrimental to the game. Um, but, but both are really needed, but you, know, you kind of have to know when it's time for one or for the other. Um, Man, I'm excited to talk about – kind of take a, a pivot to the next part of our conversation here and talk about, in my opinion, the product that was hiding in plain sight uh, for a long time. Talk about heads-up vest. Um, I wanted to know for our audience here if you might be able to go into a little bit better detail, kind of describing the the idea, the metrics, the science behind uh, this product here for the market. Uh, gladly. Uh, no, it's been exciting for us too. I mean, it has, you know, it's funny because we just got back from the convention in KC. And we had a lot of support, a lot of really positive feedback about the product. And this is the first time a lot of people have seen this product. Yeah. The traditional training vest has been around for 
50 years and never been changed. So um, essentially what it is, is it's a training vest that, that promotes and facilitates players to lift their heads. Right? It's forcing that mechanical action of a player to, to pick their heads up and try to get a bigger view of what's going on. Uh, and the way we do that is we designed a vest that uh, is a neutral color. The whole body is a neutral color. The only thing that changes is the collar that wraps around the top of the vest. And now this will dictate team orientation. Okay, So, for example, uh, we play in a 5v5 game. And everyone would be wearing a vest that's all black, hangs down to the waist just like a traditional vest, but it's all black. Everyone in an all black, you'd have maybe five yellow collars versus five blue collars. So now when, uh, if I have the ball and I'm looking at the ball, I'm looking down, uh, my peripheral can no longer pick up who I'm playing with. So I'm forced now to pick up my head just to see who's where and who's on which team. Uh, and it's been, you know, it's so interesting because people will come by the booth at the convention and Hey, what is this? And we explain it and they say, that's it. That's, that's so simple. How come I didn't think of that? <laughs> and like you said, yeah. it, it was, it was sitting in front of our noses for decades. And, and, uh, my wife and I, you know, in the beginning of our marriage, had a lot of soccer talk. We had to put a little cap on that, Jay, because, it, you know, we're going on a date yeah. and now we're talking yeah. tactics. And so we've yeah. done a, nothing for nine. Yeah. And, this is yeah. Life, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thank God, you know, we did have a lot of time to discuss things like this. And so we together, um, you know, again, coaching the youth, both of us in it, our whole lives uh, playing. And so this was always something that was on our mind. You know, we knew this was lacking in where, where we come from. And we always wanted to change it. And we were trying to change it through coaching, which we're still trying to, to do our part. Uh, but this product was just another step in, in helping that. You know, we, we saw a lot of people, and you've probably seen this, Jay, but a lot of people using headbands. We've seen necklaces, a little dangerous so we didn't want to go that route. Headbands, imagine me with a headband. It would look ridiculous. So I was like, I could never wear <laughs> If my coach asked me to wear, wear a headband, I'd tell him I got to quit. Joe, a quarter of the NBA has bald head and headband, man. You'd look fantastic, but uh, it wouldn't work yeah. for soccer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, so we went this route, Jay, and it's been amazing. Uh, we're about six months in. We soft launched in May. And, you know, we have recognition from in Europe, all over the States. Um, we have the Austrian national team, U16, wearing them. We have several colleges wearing them out here, several clubs. And so it's been, you know, the response has been great. But, again, uh, we're changing the traditional vest. And, and that's, you know, we're pushing into a space that has never been changed before. So it, it's, it's exciting but also kind of trailblazing, which, which, which we're, we're ready to take that head on. So it's been fun. Yeah, again, I love it. I love I love thinking of it in terms of just hiding in plain sight. It was just right there in front of all of our faces. But um, I could see, you know, youth, you know, U sixteen Austrian national team. You know, where that be applicable, where players are a little bit older, a little bit more developed. Um, at, at what ages do you, have you guys seen the product be used? Um, and where do you kind of where do you see it in zone one, zone two, and so, zone three for development for players? We've had this question so much, Jay. It's been, these conversations have been a lot of fun. The one I want to reference is, is where my mind is at, is where our heads are at as a team at Heads Up Best. And uh, we work alongside APFC, and there's a man named uh, Bernard Franqueza who runs that program. Mm -hmm. So we're always in communication with them. We help them out with their program with Best and things like that, and, and they love them. Uh, he was at the convention. We met with his lifelong friend, uh, also named Bernat, who is the director of methodology for all of the Barca schools 
uh, in the States. I think there are 11 of them. And so he's in charge of all that. So we met with both Bernats and interviewed them. And we talked about this for a while. Uh, and, and we all agreed that we, we need to go more into a route. Um, and I'm putting we as Americans, uh, SoCal, America, however you want to view it. But we need to go into more of a route when we think about the game uh, to where we're not separating the physical from the cognitive side. And... And I think that we do that sometimes. Well, let's work on the physical side and then we'll work on the cognitive side in a different capacity. And then we'll just try our best to force them together. And, and that's not football. I think in the end of the day, uh, when you mention this sport to somebody, again, what do they think about? And, and, and how are they viewing the game? And so uh -huh. we believe that uh, as soon as you are ready to introduce the sport to a young girl, a young boy, then at that point, you should be ready to introduce heads up best because you don't wait and you don't separate it and say, no, no, at this point, we're going to start getting them to think and look a little more. No, no. When you think of soccer, you think of vision, you think of thinking, you think of uh, decisions. And then the byproduct of that is the physical action. So we always believe that the overlying is you need to look. That's the beginning of the foundation. You have to look. And then we're going to teach you what to look for. Right? But if you're not looking, if that's not in your mechanical uh, wheelhouse, if that's not a habit, playing with your head up is not a habit, then how can we get to the concepts that we need to teach you? Yeah, I can't tell you how many uh, kids I've seen uh, throughout all the games that I get to go to on the youth side um, at all ages every single weekend where you've got you know the same kid that's either a winger or, or forward that just puts their head down and tries to dribble three people and, and without fail will do it six, seven, eight times in a game with no, maybe one successful dribble. Uh, without realizing if they just got their head up, they can lay the ball off. And this is, I mean, I've been telling my kids this stuff since they were flipping six years old. Um, and, and without, you know, teach them, get your head up, lay the ball off, go to where you want to go, and the ball will meet you there. You know, that the, the fastest moving object on the ball, or the fastest moving object. I, most people think that the, the, the ball is the fastest moving object on the field. I would like to say the human mind is the fastest moving object on the field. And the more we can engage the mind, like with the ball, with the head up, that actually makes a key difference because I don't think we talk like what you've been talking about, which is increasing player soccer IQ, reading the game, knowing the game, feeling the game. Yes, have the physicality. Yes, have the dribbling attributes and the ability to be able to be comfortable on the ball. But you have to know the game. You have to see it and play it and not just try to run with your head downhill and cram the ball in the back of the net. Yes, but yes, they all count the same, but are we developing long-term players that's to the benefit of the sport? I had a conversation with someone who's an academy director, and we were talking specifically about your product, and she had some kind of questions of whether or not as uh, girls, uh, particularly as females, uh, are get a little bit older in regards to development, academy age, things like that, knowing that um, girls are less visual uh, just – scientifically girls are a little less visual that of learners than boys are if this would be a really a good product that would fit as well for uh, the youth players for females and for for males do you do you see any type of discrepancy in the benefits of of what you guys have already seen develop with the teams that are using the field right now 
With all respect to the director who mentioned this, uh, I'm going to have to completely disagree with okay. anything that that implies that uh, playing with your head up or visual recognition of, of scenarios is based on gender or anything else. I, for me, it's you know it, it's completely discredited. If you say something like that, it's, I'm not sure. I, for for us. Everyone who plays the game should be implementing the concept of heads up. This is how the game is played. You can't play chess blind. So, yeah. uh, no, no, I think <laughs> I girls, boys, everybody. Yeah. And yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. I just think it's worth talking about because, you know, um, the, the, it's just I think it's a question worth asking. Uh, because yeah. we have you know people that have both you know both you know boys and girls and the girl side as far as development yes development looks the same and but my kids were always were introduced to the same soccer concepts as you know zone one players that the boys were on the other side why do we think that it needs to change just when they go to academy level or things like that every player needs to learn how to play with their head up period yeah um, 100%. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that you kind of addressed that. Um, I think it's an important point. Um, do you have any data talking about like just the the timelines for Heads Up Vest? As far as um, you know, everybody is we're living in a very result results oriented culture, right? So here's a great product. Um, you know, hey coach, you know here's the set that you ordered for your team. Um, the kids start playing with it. Based on your experience so far, how how what are the conversations that you're having, and how quickly have people started to see results in their players? Well, it's a great question, and, and I think it's almost twofold. You know, uh, when you put a vest on, so so my son, for example, is three and a half. My daughter, Latoya, is three and a half. When I put a vest on those little ones, because they've never, I think they've used a traditional vest a couple times, but they use a heads up vest. That's all they know. So. A, why would I use a razor when I have an iPhone? It just does something for me that the razor could never do. But also, as soon as I put that vest on my kids, they don't even have to be in a game. They already think something's going on. What is this? Oh, so this is a vest, what we use. She's a yellow and you're a blue. Oh, okay. They don't ask, why is, it, why is the color up here? They just, this is what they're doing now. It's now ingrained. And and also for the older kids, let's say you let's say you introduced it later, right? Now they're 15, and you just put a heads-up vest on them. What is that telling that player about your program and about the coaching priorities? Immediately, without even jumping into an exercise, they already recognize, hmm, my coach, my program, my club—they value an intellectual soccer player. Now, putting the vest on is not going to make you a smart <laughs> soccer player. We don't have that. If we did, yeah. we'd have the military protecting it at this sure. point. But right, it, it's the first step towards uh, gaining more awareness on the field, right? So, so just by putting it on, you're getting immediate uh, impact, okay? Psychologically, well, we, we wanna try to put our heads up. I don't even have to say anything. You put this on, what's this for? Uh, it's, it's to keep your head up. Okay, the rest of the practice are like, maybe I should do this. So that's one piece. And I think the second piece, like you mentioned, uh, when we talk about results, it gets a little tricky, right? Because then you have to define what results are based on the product. And players, parents, and coaches, you know, the harsh reality is that if we, if I give a set of vests to a team and they use them for a month and then they go to a tournament that month and they get crushed, they'll say that doesn't work. Right. 
if that if I and on the contrary, if I give another set to another team and they go in and they annihilate teams in a tournament that next month, they'll say this is the best product on the globe. But it's not. That's not what we're looking for. You know, that's not really telling us what the results are because I think for us we're looking for something different. We're looking for the habit, the mechanical habit of lifting your head. And maybe you get some better decisions uh, within a week, then two weeks, three weeks, after you start adjusting to the product because there is an adjustment period. But uh, we don't base it off of team results or anything like that. It's more based on the individual aspect of lifting your head and starting to make decisions from there. Uh, of course, if we have a team using the vest and they start promoting uh, the mechanical habit of lifting your head and everybody on the team collectively is now getting better at that, hopefully it results in some wins and some uh, team results that we can be proud of. But we're looking more at the individual action of lifting the head. Sure. So, and then, again, even if even if you use you know static or small numbers, you know we, I talk about the the um, I talk with my kids all the time. Every time you go to training, like this is an opportunity to get one percent better. Period. And even if every player, you know, every time they put on the vest, it's one percent more time that they actually get their head up and see the game. They're going to see opportunities. They're going to see where they need to be. They're going to apply the education that they've been getting, that parents have been paying for, that coaches have been supposed to and and typically are trying to convey to their players, but the concepts are going to start seeping in and we're going to see better development. And I think that there's, there's no net negative in that, in an environment like that. There's only a net positive. Um, being that you run, uh, you know, group sessions, you, you have run individuals and you'll run those from time to time and, and, um, and that you have this product here. I was wondering if you might be able to speak to some of the coaches that might be in our audience thinking that like, all right, if, if I do a, a, you know, a traditional Rondo type of training session with my players, how does this, how is this product better? What wrinkles can I throw into my training session rather than just having the standard, like bright orange and bright green pennies? Um, you know, it's interesting to see different exercises implemented with the heads up vest. Mm -hmm. And when you have a, a possession game, for example, versus a positional game, uh, a lot more friction in those exercises in the possession game. Players are moving wherever they want to move based on space and opponents. And you don't know where they're going to land sometimes. Right. So, uh, especially three team games and games with neutrals. Those are the most fun to be in when we first started uh, testing the product. And, and we always understood that it was going to work, but the, the day I put it on as a neutral player in a possession game, let's say it was a 4v4 plus one, I was, a, I was the plus one, uh, I realized that that day that it actually worked better than we thought it was going to work, that I actually needed 10 seconds before the ball was even traveling to me to really understand who went where and what I'm looking for. So there was no time for me to switch off. And, and so I was, I was impressed in that moment. Um, when you're talking about positional games and, and games where you know you should have a neighbor to your right, you know you should have a neighbor to your left, you know that there's depth, you know that there's an interior player, we understand uh, where players are gonna move and, and where they're gonna be. And now we're just looking for specific concepts to implement within that exercise um, but again, you're forced to scan, 
you're forced to continue looking. And so based on whatever exercises you want to use the vest with, uh, they all pose different challenges for the players. We've also seen the 99 scrimmage, you know, from, from the small-sided exercise, which I think is the bread and butter because it's a training vest. Uh, but we see teams using them in scrimmages. I've, I've witnessed teams go out and scrimmage and also give an additional set to the opponent so that they could have to uh, deduct in that way, right? So now you have a bunch of kids with the same socks, the same shorts, and they're playing against each other in a real game, and they put the heads-up vest on, orange collar versus blue collar. And so now in the real game, when you're looking at a 60-yard ball or a 60-yard stretch from the right back to the left forward like you gotta gotta do that math and so you just have to focus and dial in a little bit more um so yeah that's awesome and i I wonder too in the future you know and i i'm not trying to put ideas in your head or anything like that but i wonder if you guys will also provide some real wonderful training tools to how these can be used 77 9v9 11v11 sides of how what are some games to to really see some maximum maximum benefit there now you guys too, you have the two colors, but I, I mean, I also have noticed that you guys have a wrinkle with like where you have a third color in there as well. Is that just kind of for, you know, your midfielder that's just kind of going both ways or kind of, how do you, how do you kind of add that in there as well? Yeah, I think it's always nice as a coach to have a variety in your, in your tool belt, right? So we have currently singles, single sided vests, and then we have reversible sided vests that we just came out with recently. For me, I've been using singles until the reversibles came out, and now I use nothing but the reversibles because the singles come in three colors, three color colors, yellow, blue, and orange. Uh, you can get them with a gray body, or you can get them with a black body. So you, you can decide there. The reversibles, uh, we have two different types of reversibles, so a total of four colorways. So you have one reversible with a pink inside, yellow outside, and then the other reversible is an orange inside, blue outside. So now the coach has their choice of four different colors for those who like to play four team games, maybe some round robins at the end of practice for competition. Um, I always enjoy four team games, so I, I have all four colors in my set. And if you only need three, because maybe you need a neutral, the difference is from the traditional set is that everybody needs to be in a vest. So before you could play shirt skins, you could play vest versus no vests, right? So one team doesn't even have a penny on. Uh, and when you use the heads up vest, if you have a team that's not vested up, then they don't get the benefit of right. the mechanical issue that we're right. trying to improve. In. Get, so get that chin up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we kind of, you know, the sets that we recommend are the reversibles and they've been very beneficial for any game you really want to play. Yeah. I'm anxious to get my set, Joe, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. <laughs> I got it. We got it. No, I know you do. Um, what are – I mean as far as just um, you know, preaching this gospel, if you will, of your belief that this will – this helps development for players, um, helping them see and, and receive, receive data and interpret data and make, make decisions that can be evaluated at a different level that they do with their head down. Um, beyond kind of the developmental questions, what are some of the biggest challenges that you guys have faced, uh, not only when your timing of bringing it to market, but what are some of like the, the roadblocks that you're kind of in hurdles that you're kind of overcoming now? Um, uh, you know what, the only thing that we're really battling 
and I guess I wouldn't even call it a battle. It's more of just an adjustment, right? It's just an adjustment that we're facing. And I think that the landscape is facing. I mean, everything's always evolving. We're all aware of that. Um, but again, the product that has never been changed. The, the training vest has always been the same. It's one color. It's, they do have reversibles, but nothing has been um, like this where it implements you to pick your head up. And so when you have somebody who's been coaching for a long time, they're used to what they're used to. You know, right. and, and again, I'll, I'll reference the razor. I'll reference even a, a, a typewriter. Why would I use a typewriter when I have a laptop who does, that does so much more for me? Right. So eventually, and I was the guy when the iPhone came out, I was the guy that was like, I don't need the iPhone. I'm good with my razor. Motorola's I got me. A, I'm, I have a calculator. I have a watch. What do right? I need an iPhone I, for? Yeah, yeah I, don't need, I, got, I got the Zach Morris phone. I'm okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's going to take a while, but I truly believe that, you know, once, once a coach uses them, they can see the benefit. And we now have provisional sets where we're sending out sets to coaches just to use them because yeah. it's, a, it's a very new idea and it takes some getting used to. We have a, we've had so many guys who, who I was friends with, am friends with for 20 years. And, and I, Hey, have you seen this vest? What vest? And then I show it to him and uh, I don't need that dude. I, my kids, I, I know how to train vision. Okay, try it. Just try it. And so a lot of times they come back and, uh, man, these are amazing. I can't believe that, okay, I, I, the skeptics turned into people that adopted it. I look at the old cones. I don't know if you remember the old training cones yeah. you used to use. Look like look like you were from Caltrans. Yeah. And, and, and they, yeah. Right, remember? You got to have a full truck just to carry those. So now then eventually they came with a little smaller. Then they came with the disc. The, the flat disc right. almost. Then they came with the mini disc, and I was always, no, no, I don't know. I, I got the other ones. It's cool. And then I said, why would I not have those? They're smaller. They take up less room. I, and so I ended up getting them. Now they have the pancakes. So right. everything's always evolving. People are always trying to do their part to, to help the kids and help the players to grasp the sport in the best way they can. So, you know, that, that's probably the biggest hurdle that we've seen. It's just the paradigm shift. Really. No, and that's what I really love is that you know with every innovation and with every with every iteration that you guys even have with the heads up vest is it's just making a good product better. It's making a good concept more accessible. Um, it's making that low hanging fruit even hang even lower for players. And you know I would just love to pass on to you know the coaches and the club directors and and even the parents like myself of youth uh, soccer players that are out there. I really encourage you to check it out. Some of the smartest minds in our country that are focused on developing high uh, quality well-rounded players are listening to Joe and are purchasing heads up vest for their sides and you would do well to do the same and I get nothing in return like this is not a free commercial like Joe I reached out to you because I found you on Instagram and I was like this is freaking brilliant tell me more I've got to talk to you about this because I want to hear your heart behind this and the science behind what behind this so um, Joe in closing we always have one final question on the soccer geeks podcast um, and it is this um, if you had the infinity gauntlet as it were for US soccer and you got to make one decision that with with your choice whatever it would be would be one immediate change in the game in our country. <laughs> Keep going. What would, what would it be? Uh, wow. 
What a question, Jason. You got the gauntlet, man. You got the stones. Snap okay, those so fingers, maybe, buddy. Gotcha, what are we doing? Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go a different route here, but I think uh, what I would ask is that we put um, fields and courts within. Gosh, a, a field and a court every five miles throughout this entire country, and especially metropolitan cities, that were free for players to go and play. Okay. I, I think I would ask that. Because I, you know, we, we talk so much about uh, pickup and and free play and, and love for the game, and the kids need to be able to go out and play without having to get a permit for a soccer field. So, yeah. you know, when you see that and you see fields popping up and courts popping up, the kids can go and get games and, and join into join a pickup game and just constantly touch the ball free of any coaching or uh, stress or issues. That's where you develop the love for the game. And that, that love will translate into something bigger later on with the generations to come. Yeah. Uh, and I think those, those are the players that are going to change the, the entire country. So I would start with give them the field space Give them courts for futsal and, and let them and see what happens with it. If you build it, they will come. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Joe, we're going to get Marissa in closing back on the show, but I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's obvious I'm a big fan, but I also wanted to ask a couple hard questions just because I think it's worth it's worth bringing up. But um, I really wish and hope that you have amazing success with what you guys are designing there, and I'm just so thankful to have you on the show today. So we really appreciate and value your time. Thanks. Mm -hmm. no thank you, you guys for yeah. the support we love it yeah Good. Uh, one last question from me because i know you know you have a lot of wisdom and uh, we want to follow the journey where can we connect with you and find you online uh a couple different places you can go to my website jpsoccerus.com uh, mm -hmm. my instagram handle is at jps underscore training and then uh for heads up vest we are at Heads Up Vest. Okay, and cool. so that's the Instagram feed for that. And then our website is headsupvest.com. Cool. So we'd love to we'd love to talk to anybody who has questions or, or uh, interests in the product or training. So thank you guys. Well done. Thanks, Joe. Thank Keep you, doing Joe. what you're doing, buddy. We're big fans. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. All right, have a good day. Bye.